You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and this business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. The show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and our newest sponsor, Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, of CEOs running middle market firms to improve your decision-making skills. We do that by interviewing leaders in their field who have knowledge and experience that you can learn from, and that is certainly the case today. It is our pleasure to have a featured guest. Yes, not two guests today. One, we're going to spend the entire show with Gil Cargill. He is CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group. Gil, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's great that we're going to be able to spend a little extra time with you, delving into your expertise, because ladies and gentlemen, CEOs of middle market companies, if sales, sales management, performance management is all important to you, and how can it not be as you grow your firms, then you're about to learn from one of the foremost experts in this area, and I've got a bunch of questions that I want to ask him. In the spirit of full disclosure, I have known Gil and known of Gil for over a decade now, and I've seen him help so many companies, both here in Southern California, but other parts as well, that I'm excited that I'm able to actually have him finally here on the show. We've been chasing him for a while because he's a busy man. Gil, tell us a little bit about your background. Before we get into the firm and the rest of the things, talk to us about your professional experience. Well, I've been in sales all my life. It's the only career I've ever had. I started selling uh, door-to-door, selling vacuum cleaners, as a high school sophomore wow. in 1964, high school junior, I'm sorry, uh, and uh, worked my way through college selling vacuum cleaners door-to-door and then went to work for IBM in 1970. I applied a lot of the skills that I learned uh, through repetition of rejection because you can't sell vacuum cleaners without experiencing enormous levels of rejection. But each rejection got me one step closer to a sale. And once I started getting those commission checks, I was hooked on the ability to trade time, talent, and energy for very significant sums of money. Well, that's interesting at such a young age to be willing to suffer and put yourself in front of so much rejection. My first job out of college was selling photocopiers. And while that's not door-to-door vacuum cleaner sales, I think maybe the reception that I received at the front of the office was maybe similar to some of the receptions that you would receive when you would ring the doorbell or knock on the door at the home. Well, actually identical because I sold copiers for IBM. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what you're talking and, and about. There is zero difference between being thrown out of a lobby or being thrown <laughs> off of a front porch. Yeah, and what you learn uh, in that time is repetition does build a skill. Right. At least that's what I saw. And you sort of start to figure out what works better and you have to size up people quickly, don't right. you? Absolutely. You learn the skill of uh, making strangers like you because no one buys from someone they don't like. And no one that doesn't know you can't like you. So you have to become friend-like. I don't say friendly, okay. but friend-like in a very short period of time. And you do that by expressing interest in the other person as opposed to bragging to that person about yourself or your product or what you do. Or things of that nature. So I found it important, and I still—it's a skill that I carry with me today. During the cold calling for uh, selling copiers, and in college, I sold newspaper advertising and radio show advertising Mm -hmm. because that's what I did, and that's how I got myself through college, as well as working in food service. But you know, you got to do what you can to get money, right? Mm -hmm. After school, being disarming when I first met somebody. You know, I'm six one. I'm not a big guy physically, but I'm tall, and I always had—I was very aware when I first met someone. Make sure I gave them their space, showed them their respect, and didn't become aggressive or seem too overly excited about what I was doing. For me, I had to learn that skill because when you're younger, you know, you just want to go for it. But part of, I think, what helped me was be able to kind of back up a little bit and right. start from a level of, you know, I know I'm interrupting your day, so i, I got to ask for that privilege already, right? Right. Well, my approach is very similar, and this is what I teach 
uh, our clients, uh, salespeople, to do. We we have to embrace a mentality of uh, almost saying, I don't know if I can help you or not. Mm. But if I can, here are the results that you can anticipate. And if we approach in that fashion, we're disarming, we're very honest, and very, you know, because the fact is, to meet a stranger and declare that you can solve a problem that you don't know exists is sort of crazy. Right. But a lot of guys do it. Right. They're so confident. And, yeah. you know, the, the other thing is I was just talking to one of the salespeople that work with me selling advertising here for the radio show, and she was telling me about a story of early in her career where the prospect, and they were she was qualifying that prospect, and at certain points she said to him, you know what? I don't think I can help you. Nothing that I have in my portfolio is going to solve your problem. And she said the way he responded to that, because he's not, he wasn't used to salespeople not trying to find something they could sell to him. That's and, and that's been my experience too, Gil, that if you're honestly saying, I don't think I can help you this time, you almost change the nature of the relationship because many people don't expect that from a salesperson. That's totally true. The uh, customer that hears the truth is getting bombarded with a fresh experience. Because everyone else says, I know I can help you. By the way, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) I've helped a ton of people just like you. What is it you do? (laughs) That's classic. And and that is still going on today. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. That's a a misapplication of a... And it gives our profession, or I still consider myself a salesperson. I did it when I was, you know, like you, in my teens and 20s. We have about five minutes before our first commercial break. Okay. Tell me a little bit about Cargill Consulting Group. What do you do? How do you help clients? And what makes you different? Why do people choose to work with you over another firm that might offer something similar? The biggest uh, mark of difference is that we are no longer just a sales training company. I realized uh, many years ago, several decades ago, that the problem with sales from the company starts in the CEO's office. The owner of the company or the CEO of the company frequently hires the wrong type of person, frequently mispays them, certainly mismanages them, and keeps the poor performers on for far too long. And then they turn around and look for a sales trainer and say, will you fix this problem? And by the way, it needs to be fixed by lunchtime tomorrow. Right. And you can't get rid of anybody. Just, no. Just yeah, teach absolutely. them what they need to know. And uh, I uh, turned down an engagement recently where the CEO was very angry at his employees. And he said, these guys are lazy, they cheat, they lie, their expense accounts are never right, their quotes are never right, they're costing me a ton of money, they're horrible. And I said, who hired these people? And worse, who's reinforcing this behavior every two weeks with a check that doesn't bounce? Right. And that is the core. So our difference is we position ourselves as a sales acceleration company And we look at a company through 17 portals that identify one or more of the sales productivity inhibitors. Could be compensation, could be deployment, lead generation, marketing. I've seen companies where the marketing message is we have the best value possible, but the salespeople are selling based on the cheapest price. Hmm. And value and price are two totally different things. Right. So we look at 17 items. And then we repair them, starting with the biggest impact first. It's almost like triage on an accident victim. You don't worry about the broken toe when the neck is bleeding. Right. So we fix the biggest problem first and generate significant and, more important than that, permanent improvements in the top line. And that makes our clients happy. But they have to be willing to change. And frequently, that's the stumbling block. Fix everything that's wrong here, but I'm not changing anything. Right. So it, it becomes an interesting dilemma. You mentioned uh, the triage, and, I, and I, I think of sometimes on TV news when there's been an accident and the paramedics, the emergency, they get there, the EMTs, and they lay out a green tarp and a yellow tarp and a red tarp. And I never, I, I heard on the news, well, that's because that's the level of severity for the injuries, and they're mm-hmm. kind of categorizing them. And I almost think your, your, your comments, I think of a sales process as, you know, there's, not all pigs are created equal. There are certain problems which you got which are red. You better deal with them right away. Exactly. And having someone with your background and experience to be able to identify those with a fresh set of eyes have to be tremendously valuable. I'm talking with Gil Cargill. He's CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group. We're going to take our first commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your blog. Cool. We'll get into that a little bit. Look so don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in less than three minutes on Critical Mass Radio Show. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, 
CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we're a bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. As I said before, Gil Cargill is our CEO, is our featured guest. He's CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group. I want to thank and acknowledge our loyal listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live here on octalkradio.net, broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in the tech space facilities in Costa Mesa, California. We here at the program are very happy to be a part of the OC Talk Radio lineup. All of our podcasts can be found on Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's get back to Gil Cargill. We said we're going to talk a little bit about your blog. Okay. Uh, you know, during the break, we said that there's nine ways to improve sales tactics. I mean, can, can you talk a little bit more about these nine secrets in which a middle market company CEO can use to utilize and maybe even turn around their sales and profits? Sure, absolutely. The most important first thing is to drive more traffic to your website. If you're getting five visitors a day, then at best you can can compete for five decisions. If you're getting 5,000 visitors per day, you have the opportunity to compete for 5,000. So the CEO that does not get a report on who's visiting their website, not how many people, but who's visiting, right. and how what his or her web uh, master is doing to increase that traffic, is the CEO that is essentially accepting the status quo. Uh, there are tools available today that will identify anonymous website visitors. I discovered one recently uh, when I did some studying, and I found that 94% of people that visit websites never type their name in. 
So 94% of your traffic is driving by and saying nothing. Right. So we want to drive that traffic uh, by doing emails and offering videos and other offers on the website. But most importantly, you have to identify that traffic. So any one of the anonymous website visitor ID tools is similar to caller ID on your telephone. Right. will let you know who those people are. Okay. But somebody should be responsible for driving traffic. Second thing is you have to start converting that traffic. And the conversion of traffic is vital. I recently saw a study, and I have to try and mentally recall the numbers. If you respond to a visitor on your website within 15 seconds, your 400% uh, your probability of success is 400% better than if you call them the next day. Wow. Back in our days when we were selling copiers, if you got back to a lead in three, four, five days, they thought you were marvelous. Right. Today, it's 15 seconds, or the probability declines almost vertically over the next 24 hours. So you can fix that by putting an autoresponder on your website. These are 20 or $30 pieces of software that will thank the visitor for visiting the website and schedule a phone call to be made by one of the salespeople the next day and it's a memo from the ceo type it once the autoresponder will send it out every time right. and it says thanks for visiting our website one of our associates will contact you tomorrow wow. and that comes from the ceo and that's impressive that to is. the the average visitor well you know i just want to sit on that for a second mm-hmm. because it's my experience that when people visit a website they're expending their own time, energy, and talents right. for a reason. Right. Right. And so it, that is a moment of truth for them. Right. Absolutely. And if they've, what you want is to have them there. And to your point, if they come and go and you never know it, you what good is? It, yeah. you, but if you if you engage them, you've begun the process of showing, I think, a level of competency that maybe your competitors aren't demonstrating. Totally. The competitors, eighty-seven percent, according to another one of your uh, guests, Jim Obermeyer, eighty-seven percent of the uh, visitors uh, of leads, rather, are never followed up That's on. That's unconscionable. And he published a study a few years ago on that. So we drive traffic, and then we capture traffic, and the CEO needs to get reports. Most CEOs have no visibility on what's going on with their website other than it looks good. Right. Or they get a report that says 743 people visited our website last week. But I don't want to know how many people visit it. I want to know what companies they came from. Right. And these tools will do that for you. And they're 20 or $30, so it's absolutely crazy that you don't have them on websites. And I'm shocked at the number of people that don't. Is this the kind of information you write about on your blog? Absolutely. So if people, we're going to talk about your blog and your website later. Yeah. So they can go there and get the archives of they, what you've posted. They can, download and they, all they can learn about right. this information. Okay, so we've gotten through two of the nine. Right. All right. Uh, the next thing is once you have converted traffic to a lead, the CEO needs to know that his salespeople, his or her salespeople, can follow up on that lead diligently and present the value proposition correctly. Mm. What I found is 90% of salespeople abandon the pursuit of those leads after four attempts, 50% after one attempt. So what happens is the salesperson says, hey, boss, I followed (laughs) up on that lead. It was no good. Or worse, they're on the wrong side of town, the wrong side of the freeway. You know, they threw us out five years ago, whatever the excuse is. Right. But the tenacious 10% that stick with that follow-up for seven to nine contacts are the ones that close business. So that's the sweet spot, seven to nine. Right. Okay, so CEOs running middle market companies, you're listening to this radio show, you're listening to Gil Cargill. He is the founder and CEO of his own firm, Cargill Consulting Group. Write that down. As, as an easy metric, seven to nine, you need to, you need to start asking your salespeople how many times have you tried. And if it's not in seven to nine range, you have some work to do. Exactly. Okay, thank as you, As Ricky Gail. Ricardo used to say, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's available on reruns of Nick and Knight for the, for the rest of your CEOs who maybe don't remember the original versions. I remember the original. The, the next thing I want a CEO to do is to inspect the sales presentation. This gets to be a bit of a chafing point. I recommend that CEOs call salespeople on the phone and or if they're physically in the building into their office without announcement, without notice, without warning. And I recommend that the CEO ask that salesperson to give him or her a presentation of that company. Wow. Most CEOs have no idea what their salespeople are saying when they're out in front of a prospect. Exactly. Now, this is an easy exercise, 
And if the salesperson says, here's how I like to do it, take that as a warning sign that you don't really know how to do it. And a salesperson who's a professional should be able to give his or her boss a presentation about the company that employs them right. without preparation. Yeah, they should be able to get into character like that, right? Bingo. Because you never know when they're going to hit a prospect. You could be uh, yeah, in an airport, in a waiting lounge, right. or in an airliner. The guy next to you could have a budget for what you offer. Right. And if you go, yeah, but I, yeah, but yeah. I then you're lost. Yeah, let me ask you, because yeah. I did sales training for a while for a company by the name of Tektronix, and um, we used to do role plays, and we'd get a lot of pushback from the salespeople saying, they're not real. What I would never say that my bias was, they're exactly real and if you said that in the role play you're going to say that in the real world and i'd rather you say it now and we coach it out of you than say it in front of a warm prospect is that your experience when i played uh, football in college our coach had scrimmages they weren't real but if i didn't perform as if they were real (laughs) i was running laps until the next morning right so i wasn't allowed to say hey coach that's not a real i wouldn't do that in the game exactly yeah so it's the same thing and and there's a culture uh, in sales that says i had training a year ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. That's a problem. Uh, and as a lot of my friends know, my addiction is aviation. My father was one of the Tuskegee Airmen, oh. and he taught me how to fly. And that group of fighter pilots flew 15,000 missions in World War II without a defeat. And there is no activity ever that's been that perfect. Their secret was they had over 100 hours of practice air-to-air combat for every hour of actual air-to-air combat. Wow. Golfers practice. Lawyers go back for continuing education units. Doctors go back for continuing education. Why is it the only profession in the world where you can dial your income, says, ah, you had training 20 years ago, take it easy. I took the Xerox PSS3 course (laughs) in the 70s. I don't need anything else now. I'm good. Yeah. Or worse, I've had salespeople tell me, well, I don't need practice. I say, why? And they say, well, I practice every time I'm on a sales call. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, that's like, practicing football during the Super Bowl, it's too late. Right. You have to execute right. when you're in the championship game. And every sales call is a championship game. You don't get do-overs. Okay. You don't get to leave the building, go out in the parking lots, oh, I forgot to tell them about this, and go back in. The right. party's over. So you're saying to the CEO, it's their right and almost their responsibility to let their salespeople rehearse or demonstrate their sales script to them. They're not being a jerk by being a CEO and asking them to do that. They really need to power through the maybe the interpersonal problem that that might cause with some people Absolutely. to hear what actually is being said because it's your company. It's sales practice. The CEO is writing a check every two weeks for a level of performance, and if you don't have any awareness about it, then your company can suffer, and your net worth and your wealth and your family and your future suffers. Right. Most CEOs have better visibility on the performance of the janitor than they do. <laughs> Swear to God. You're right. Because you walk in. waste paper basket's not empty. (laughs) Exactly. But I want them to have 20-20 visibility on what the sales team is capable of doing. They don't have to get out of the office. They can do this over the phone, over Skype, or face-to-face. But the CEO that doesn't know what they're saying is the CEO that more often than not is managing a company that's underperforming. And the tragedy is we tend to look at company performance in terms of the P&L and the bottom line. And if the P&L is good relative to what they thought it would be, everyone slaps himself on the back, splits the profits, and they have a party. I always approach it from the point of view of, congratulations, you're profitable. How much money didn't you get because you missed opportunities or let leads slip through the cracks or your salespeople mishandled an opportunity when they were in front of customers? And no one knows the answer to that, but until we are competing for every opportunity, we can't come close to optimum performance. Oh, that's powerful. You know, my philosophy is that most middle market companies, and I say those are companies with $100 million in revenue or less, lower mm-hmm. middle market. That's who we program for. Mm-hmm. They really have unlimited top-line revenue growth because they're a minor player in the niches that they're in exactly. or they're not in a big geography. So there's really no governor on how big your company can be. The governor is many times inside your business and your processes and your philosophies, etc. you hired, how you manage them what you allow them to do. Right. And those things all negatively impact the top-line revenue production capability. Okay, we have about a minute left for this segment, okay. and we've gotten through, it feels like, half of the nine things that you talk about on your blog. Can you summarize the rest to help the audience? Sure. The uh, One of the best ways to uh, make sure you're performing well is to sell to your existing accounts as if they were prospects. We take for granted often 
the relationships we have with our existing accounts. And I'd like CEOs to recognize that his best accounts are his competitors' best prospects. Wow. And okay. Somebody's trying to take your revenue away from you. Right. Protect it. Get out in the field with your salespeople. Inspect your lead generation program. I have an activity, and you can download this from my website, uh, called an activity planner. And how many leads do you have to supply to your sales team to hit your growth objectives? And fine-tune your compensation to reward for future success, or, or new business rather, than allow your team to become what I refer to as road warriors. It's an acronym. It stands for Retired on Active Duty. Mm. So that's the guy that has the book of business. Don't need any new accounts. I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm servicing my accounts. Yes, yes. Golfing, yes. Okay, well, boy, I I can tell you already, ladies and gentlemen, an hour with this guy is not going to be enough to get out (laughs) what he knows. And and that's why he's been so successful doing what he's doing and helped so many companies. We're going to come back after our second break here on Critical Mass Radio Show with Gil Cargill. He is CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group. We've got a lot to talk about, so don't go anywhere. We'll be back in less than three minutes. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104.
And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Our featured guest is Gil Cargill, and we'll get back to him in a minute. I just want to let you know that 98% of our audience demographic are business owners and executives of middle market firms who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. And I think we gave them enough content in the first half that it's worth the price of admission, but we have even more to go in the second half with Gil. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may just be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. We delivered over 37 highly targeted 37,000 highly targeted sponsors impressions last month. If you'd like to learn more, call my VP of Sales, Rose Chamora, 951 515 Four six six one. That's nine five one five one five four six six one. All of our shows can be found from my website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. All right. As I said, Gil Cargill is my focus guest today. He is CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group. We're talking all things sales for you CEOs of middle market firms. If you want to grow the top line, then listening to this show is a good first step, and hopefully you've been taking notes. If not, go back and listen to podcasts the second time. Um, Gil, I'd like to ask you about, of all the things you've learned in your illustrious career, you know, as you've built this firm, do you have a guiding principle, you know, an overarching belief system about the importance of something and how you apply that inside your business? And if so, can you share your guiding principle with our audience today? Yeah. Actually, this comes from my father. And when I was down for academics or down about athletics or whatever, his saying was, your attitude drives your altitude. And if you have a bad attitude, you won't get off the ground. So regardless of how hard you've been hit, get up and get back into the fight and climb to a higher altitude. Mm -hmm. And it's all driven by your your attitude. So our business, as with any business, has been up and down. We've had good times and bad times. But I've never failed to, as Dad used to say, answer the bell for the next round. So you haven't lost the fight if you get back out there. Too many people, in my opinion, quit too early. The uh, There was a story going around when I was a young salesman about the first person that attempted to swim the English Channel. He's unknown, but he got halfway to France, figured out he couldn't make it, and swam back to England. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, right. the mind drives, drives that kind of response. Uh, I'd say my overarching attitude about business, about life, is your attitude drives your altitude. I agree. Uh, I want all of my clients to say, wow. Uh, when they look at the Cargill experience and compare it to what they had before, whether it was other consultants or just the status quo in their business, uh, I refuse to lose, and I'm extremely competitive. Uh, but a victory is not worth having if you had to bend the rules or cheat to right. get it. Right. So hit very hard, but hit ethically and legally, and you'll ultimately be successful, but never quit. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I as you were answering that question, I was thinking when I was asked as either a sales manager or a vice president of sales or whatever, what's the number one quality you look for in a salesperson? And I always said persistence. Big time. It, 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 I don't care how smart they are and the rest. I mean, they have to be trainable and the rest mm-hmm. of that stuff. But you just have to keep going. Right. And cause sometimes it's that last call you make on Friday afternoon when you could bug out mm-hmm. and go home and call it a weekend, right. but you make that one more in, in the parking lot just to see what's going on with Joe, that you're in the right place. The harder I worked, the luckier I get in sales. Absolutely. And it's true in my business now. I think it's so important for entrepreneurs, because I built this business starting in 2007. I'm not sure how I would be sitting here today if I didn't go through everything I went through, starting with selling print advertising when I was in college mm-hmm. and you know, the copiers. Because you have to learn how to just keep selling. Uh, you know, A business person who starts a company that doesn't have some kind of sales background, I worry about because I, th- I think so much is so important on their ability to sell. Right. Okay. I agree. All right. Let's um, let's talk about the fact that your firm, in addition to all this sales training and diagnostics that you can do with mm-hmm. your, which is really powerful, you also do executive coaching programs. I right. understand, and, and you have learning systems. And you know, you you said earlier about driving people to your to your website. I believe in content marketing. Right. I think you've got to put out information that's valuable to drive people to your website and then engage them. Like you said, you know, whether it's an autoresponder or you trap their name and email addressing, engage them. But somehow you have to make your website valuable. Can you talk about, uh, getting back to you, your sales executive coaching program? Sure. Uh, we work with our executive clients to help them implement manageable and predictable sales processes. 
most sales organizations sell with random energy. Let's get up and go work hard. And candidly, that's one phrase I hate because working hard doesn't mean you're being successful. It just means you're sweating a lot. And if you're working hard going in the wrong direction, you won't get there. So we help them develop sales processes. Uh, we help them identify marginal performers based on metrics, not based on gut feel. We don't say like them or dislike them. Are they doing the J-O-B is what I ask. And if not, we have to take a look at what can we do to get them better or help them leave. Our, our YouTube uh, channel has uh, dozens of 10-minute, five-minute videos, which wow. are just quick tips. Right. Here's how to close the deal. Here's how to negotiate. Topics like time kills all leads. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we have a, an assortment of that. I also offer uh, you know, on-demand learning for executives, CEOs, and salespeople uh, through a learning portal that we've developed because I think the best learning is learning that occurs when you have a problem. So if you mm. currently are having no problem negotiating because you're not in negotiations, then lecturing you today on negotiations may give you some information, but four months from now you will have forgotten it. Right. Five months from now when you're negotiating, it would be handy to log on to my website and take that 45-minute class right. while you're sitting at home uh, and, and relaxing. So just-in-time learning is something that I believe in and we do a lot of online. Uh, so those are the principles, but we want our executive coaching sessions to always focus on the goals of the CEO. What do you want your business to look like three years from now? And we've actually had some CEOs tell us, I don't have any goals. And that's an entire different problem. Yeah, that's all. Okay, let's 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 back up a couple steps okay, then, right? right you know, sure. So let's start talking about that. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting, kind of as you do that, because I'm thinking technology has helped entrepreneurs really reach out in a way to get their contact content in front of so many more people. You talked about your YouTube channel, mm-hmm. your blogging. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have other social media that right. you and your team are doing. It's just a way to get your content in the hands of the people who need it the most at such a revolutionarily low cost now. It's powerful to be able to do that. Correct. And you know, and I'm thinking too is as you focus on the C-suite, especially for me, I work with middle market companies, $100 million are down. What I find is for the company to change in any substantial way and lasting, I've got to start at the top. Totally. Because if that person doesn't change, nothing permanent is going to change in the company. And as it comes around the sales, it's really good, I think, for the CEO to share the training with the salespeople, especially if they don't have a sales background, because it kind of demystifies that whole other language that we salespeople seem to have, right? Secret well, handshakes and decoder <laughs> rings. and Oh, man, I left my decoder ring in the car. Okay. I'm in trouble. You are. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I really uh, want my clients, the CEOs of my clients, to be in the room when I or one of my associates is training their salespeople. Because if you're not there, you're broadcasting. That's eh, not important. You're broadcasting. You guys handle it. And worse, you don't get to see how badly your people perform. For instance, yesterday, uh, my partner and I were doing a session with a client, and one of the salespeople mentioned that he didn't like sending out thank you cards after sales calls. And I asked him why, and he said, well, it's a lot of work. <laughs> And he makes two or three calls a day, so two or three thank you cards is, quote, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And my message to the audience was these cards really differentiate you from all the peddlers banging on the door saying, give me time, give me money, give me attention. And what you're trying to do is build a relationship. And for 30 seconds to say thanks for a moment and mention, you know, the yellow sign on on the desk or whatever is a world of impact, and so few people will embrace it. If the CEO had been there, 10 to 1 on the dollar, that would be a mandatory component of their process right. today. Well, you know, I have, as interesting said, I have a Pendaflex folder in my office exclusively for handwritten notes that I receive. Mm-hmm. It's like funny, Gil, because it's what old is new again, right? Exactly. If you want to get to somebody, take the time to write a personalized note. Well, you know, the post office, and this may have been self-serving, but they published a study that showed that a handwritten envelope has 38, uh, and letter or note, has uh, 38% more impact than an email. Wow. Emails are easy, That's right? That's the problem. Uh, and when I se- many times when I send a handwritten note, I get such a 
feedback back from the person. The almost, wow, thank you for doing that. I was t- How can I help you? Mm-hmm. It's like, really, they take people take notice of that. Exactly. And so, okay, I wish we had a gong in here for these teachable moments, but there, Gil Cargill <laughs> just gave you. You've got nothing else. Uh, CEOs of middle market companies, ask your salespeople about handwritten notes. Maybe just go out and buy them some stationery and ask them to start using it. Right? Exactly. Well, you know, you, you talked about training before, and I thought back to when I was in sales, and product management would come out, and they'd do the dog and pony. And... I paid attention, but I didn't always retain. Mm-hmm. But then I got in front of a customer, and they asked me questions that I didn't know the answers to. I'll tell you, I didn't forget those answers once I went back and I learned what it is, because now I know somebody wants, somebody else is probably going to ask me that same question. Right. right? It's such a different thing. Many times salespeople need to be proved to them that they need to know this information. That's why it's nice to have a senior and experienced sales executive like yourself to help them through that. I'm talking with Gil Cargill. He is CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group. You know, one of the things that I think can be frustrating for CEOs of middle market companies is the level of complexity that it appears to have a properly fine-tuned selling engine requires. Right. right? There's a lot of moving parts, mm-hmm. and you have a tremendous amount of personality personalities. Right. So we're going to take a commercial break, Gil, and this is our final one here on Critical Mass Radio Show for today. When we come back, and don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen, because I think I might have saved some of the best stuff for last, if you can believe that, with all the great content that's come out so far. I'd like to talk about the diagnostics, the how do you as a CEO, know how do you put some level of metrics and measurements into your sales process so that you can look at a dashboard and get a sense for who's doing right and who's not doing right without having to listen to all the stories that come along with the metrics. (laughs) Sound good? I will absolutely help you. All right, now you stay there, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in less than three minutes on Critical Mass Radio Show. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News & World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. And welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our radio show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 13,000 uh, shows over the past 30 days. I lost my train of thought, had a senior moment. I'm so excited to get to Gil Cargill, who is CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group, that I didn't want to go through the whole thing that I normally do. We have about five minutes left here on the radio show, and I- I'd like you to just give an overview mm-hmm. to a CEO who's saying, I want to fix my sales force, but I don't have the emotional capital to deal with all of those people because they overwhelm me, right, with their stories, and I just want to see the forest for the trees. Well, it's all about metrics. 
Don't listen to stories. Stories don't matter. After all, we're in sales because we're good at making up stories. So the metrics are the things that you want to know. The most important metric is how many first meetings with new prospects in the pursuit of potential new business are in the calendars of your salespeople. I define a first meeting as one that can occur on the phone or face-to-face, but it must be scheduled in the prospect's calendar or it's not a first meeting. I also mandate that a first meeting must occur within the next 30 days. So a first meeting for the you know, two quarters from now is worthless. Yeah, that's, a, that's a hope. Okay. So right. if you have no first meetings, Mr. or Ms. CEO, you will get no first orders unless you're lucky. Right. If your sales cycle is six months long, six months from hi, how you doing, to thanks for the contract, Yes. then the first meetings you have in January should become new orders in June or July. Or they won't become new orders before June or July. Exactly. Right? So there's nothing you're doing today that... Right. And Got that's it. one of the flaws with sales training. They expect sales training to fix a problem immediately. If the sales cycle is six months or a year long, which isn't that unusual, then no training will fix your problem next month. Right. So the CEO must then monitor the metrics. The second metric is how many deals, opportunities, do you have in the pipeline at each of the phases of the sales cycle, and how many dollars do each of those do the those deals total up to? Now, I like to talk about the sales process in various phases. First phase is the information phase. We're qualifying people in or out of our life at the information phase. Depending on what you sell, back when you sold copiers, you were at the info phase when you brought the machine in and said, look, it works. And you qualified people out when they said, we have no money. Uh, So how many deals and dollars are at the information phase? The next phase is called the decision point. I've given you all the information I can give you, demos, trials, references, testimonials. You've come into our plant. Whatever the process requires to provide the customer with the information he or she needs to make a decision. So after that activity is done, the info phase is done, and you're now at the decision point. Each phase can last for a minute or a month or multiple months. It's all up to the customer. Right. But how many deals and dollars are at the decision point? These would be the deals and dollars that are in the short-term forecast. We're going to close this business this month or this quarter, no longer than that. Then the next phase is the closes. How many deals and dollars did we close? If a CEO will get those uh, eight pieces of information, present it to them every week or every month at worst, and watch the trend, especially first meetings, then that CEO is starting to drive the ship. No stories are allowed. Did you do it or didn't you? Here are the numbers. And let's just worry about metrics. Now, you can do this with a spreadsheet, a felt tip. (laughs) You can do it with CRM software. It doesn't matter. But the CEO must see these metrics, or they're essentially like a pilot flying a plane with no instrumentation. You can tell that you're airborne, but you don't know where you are, and you don't know where you're going, and worse, you don't know if you have enough fuel to get to someplace safe to land. Right. We have about... Okay, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. In like two and a half minutes, Gil Cargill just gave you uh, CEOs a way that you can start to have a more intelligent and balanced conversation, I think, which is you you have the right to have with your salespeople, Absolutely. regardless of how big and how far away they are. Exactly. And it is your professional opinion, Gil, then, from, from what you just said, that sales organizations can be managed based on metrics. Absolutely. Regardless of industry. I have yet to see one where it didn't happen, but it could. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you don't talk to anybody, you won't get any new orders. It's no more complex than that. It's, there's no magic. Right. There's no voodoo. There are no secret words. It's just W-O-R-K. I re- thank you. I really feel I feel for CEOs who get in a room with four or five account manager, salespeople, whatever they call them, and they don't know the craft, and they end up spending 45 minutes of the hour in storytelling mode. Exactly. Versus... Okay, let's just, how can, first of all, how can I help, what are you doing, and how can I help you to do it better, right? right? And what can the rest of the organization do to help you to be more successful? That's the conversation you want to have, but it's predicated on the fact that your salespeople are doing the right things to begin with. Exactly. Because if they're not, you can have the best intentions, and you're still going to waste it. And you'll get bogus information. Okay. Like your prices are too high. 
Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And it's never my fault. I hate to say this because I've been a professional salesperson. I guess I can say this, but many times we're the last to take responsibility for our own actions, exactly. right? It's, it's easy to obfuscate that, right? Yep. There's so many stories and it's outside the walls. I'm telling the story. I'm going to tell it in the best light possible. Not that I called you three days too late when I knew the decision was going to be made and we lost it to a competitor who happened to be lower priced. We never had a chance to compete. Right. Okay. Well, I tell you this. Or like a famous uh, uh, one of my CEO workshop attendees, they were trying to sell FedEx, a big computer system, $5 million system, and they UPS the proposal. <laughs> but a bum. Okay. Uh, I understand you do webinars on a regular basis. Can you share with our audience? They're all listed on my website, uh, gilcargill.com, and uh, we change the agenda and change the topics probably every month or so. But the webinars focus on tactics and skills that managers, CEOs, and sales reps need to embrace to optimize their sales performance. And you said gilcargill.com. Can you spell that for us? G-I-L-C-A-R-G-I-L-L.com. And you mentioned that you're, you have a partner in this business, and could you tell us who she is? Yes, uh, actually two partners, Debbie Snyder ah. and uh, Mike Salvador. Okay. And uh, the three of us uh, work with our clients. Mike is the technical genius, and Debbie and I are sales experts. And, and most importantly, I have my wife, Felice, who keeps me out of trouble and uh, for the past 29-plus years has been at my side and a real blessing. You are absolutely right. She happens to be here in the studio today, and I get a chance that I had a chance to meet her, and uh, and I think you're very fortunate myself, Gil. You must have caught her at a weak moment back in the day because she's... It's called selling. There you go. <laughs> see? See? That's a good skill to learn because you can get over your skis in a lot of different ways, huh? Yeah. So I, I tell you, this has been a blast. And I, here. and I don't wish, and I hope Tucker Hughes, who was to be our second guest today, is recovering from his, his appendix, and we look forward to having him on the show at a later date. He is director at Hughes Marino, and we will reschedule him as soon as he's 100%. But you've been listening to Gil Cargill, who is CEO and founder of Cargill Consulting Group, and I know that you speak to organizations, you're out on the speaker circuit as well, so there's a lot of value that you're giving to the community for very low cost or free as well, and I would encourage our audience to seek you out by finding your website. Good deal. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for being a friend of the program, and welcome to our community. Good to be here. It was a pleasure, and the time just flew by. I'd like to thank our sponsors for today, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club of Costa Mesa. Our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Asia Celestino is our social media manager. Our live events coordinator is Melissa Padanti. As I said earlier, our VP of Sales is Rose Jamora, and I'm your host, Rick Franci. If you'd like to learn more about criticalmassforbusiness.com, then visit our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.